Father, for the next few moments that I'm going to ask you to do something that only you can do, that I'm going to ask you to just help me in my inadequate words to convey the truth of God's word. And I want to ask you to open the ears of, of these men and women's ears that they may hear you for the first time, maybe for the first time or maybe in a long time. And I do know that your word is so very important and it's very valuable and, and we, your people, that if we need anything at this moment in this time frame of our life, we have to have a foundation to build our lives and our family lives upon. And so we begin to process today and let everything and let everything be said and done today is only to glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So for the next few weeks, I told Gail, I said, you probably want to pray for me this week because I'm going to talk about a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And so I've been here for a long time. And this is what I want to ask you. Would you please, the Bible says, do not judge anything before it's time. Please. And when I begin, will you please not pick up and run out of here? Will you not please let demons cry out on the inside of you and say, this is all baloney? Please. Would you at least give us the benefit of, of producing in the evidence of the word of God? And it's not hard. It's not a hard deal. This is an easy church pastor. It really is. Um, because some things are my convictions. All I do is present to you the word of God. But you, I never ask you to live out my convictions. Never. I just ask you to live out what the word of God says because my convictions are different than from yours. But my convictions should line up to the word of God, but it, it, it doesn't matter. So this morning, you'll probably need to get a pencil and paper because I don't want you to run up and ask me what you say because I won't tell you. Okay. And parents, sometimes that when our children reach a certain age, Sometimes we bring them to a side and we say, I think it's time that we have a talk. Now, hopefully we'll wait till they get past the fourth, fifth or sixth grade, but we wait till they get up in years and then we say, I think we need to have a talk. <clears throat> Good morning. I think we need to have a talk. <laughs> I've never ever tried to treat you as immature Christians, I never tried to treat you as toddlers in the faith. You may not agree what I say, but that's why I always tell you, write it down and go look it up. Go look it up. And so this morning for the next few weeks that we talked about last week about they glory, they did not glorify God. They did not put him in a separate place. They did not honor him. They did not say there's none like him. And because of that, God darkened their heart. Talking about the first church the people in the church, darkened it, where we get a word for evening shadows, and it was where Adam named his wife Eve. He said, what has happened here? We had perfect light with God in the place, and because what has happened here, you have brought dark clouds in the garden. And the apostle Paul, when he speaks this word to this New Testament church, they get it. Paul said, we used to be walking as children of light, but now that what you've allowed to come in has brought, it's eclipsing the sun, the light of God. And so it's so gray in here. We don't know if it's truth or false. And I said last week, I know none of you here 
except about two has ever been a bar room, but all bar rooms are dark at night. There's a reason for that. So we're going we're gonna to begin where we left off last week. And we found out the decline that when you leave God, it declines to religion and then it moves to rituals and then you find yourself as a reprobate. And I told you last week and I didn't stutter that I talked about sexual sins. Homosexuality is not a sin that needs to be punished. Homosexuality is the punishment of the sin. Being hooked on meth is not a sin that needs to be punished. Being hooked on meth going out of your mind is the punishment for your rebellion because you did not glorify God. So when you hear stuff like that, you go, well, the devil's got me in bondage. I'm going to disagree with you 300%. They did not glorify God. So what did God do? They let them migrate down and they went from religion and they went to rituals and now there are reprobates in the sight of God and God locked them up. He turned them over. He darkened their hearts. And if you're here this morning, if you're on that slippery slope of glorifying God and you left that and now then you're Baptist and Assemblies of God and Pentecostal and now then you're on your way down to rituals and beliefs before long, if, if it, you could be the, we talked about this last week, if God moved his spirit and grace from you, you'd be the biggest queer in Ardmore tomorrow. You'd be the biggest meth addict in Oklahoma tomorrow if God would move his grace from you. And the reason why that we can prevent that is that we go back and we glorify God and we say there is none like him and I'll honor him and I'm going to follow him and I'm going to worship him and the rest of you people can do anything you want to do, but I'm going to glorify God because he is only one that is worthy to be glorified. I don't care anything about your opinions. So we talked about this for an hour. Sorry about last week. I got long-winded, but not today. Not today. So Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Now watch this. So because that, that when they knew God, that they glorified him not as God, and neither were they thankful. And we talked about this, not being thankful. You have two choices. Either you can have a life of being of thankfulness or resentfulness. You can either be thankful or resentful of what's happened to you. Things do not happen to us. Things happen for us, the scripture says, whether I like them or not. And when you get to the point where you feel like that God has given you the short end of the stick of anything in your life and you quit being thankful for what you have, not what you lost, that's the whole deal. People are, are, they are, they are, they are, they're paralyzed by things that they don't, that didn't get, but they forget about the things they have around them. I'm talking about that. So, so here's the question this morning. Can we truly be thankful for a gift if we bought it ourselves? Can you truly be thankful for a gift if you're responsible for that gift? I'm not going to raise my voice because that, that scares you but I need you to hear me before you don't nod off today. If you need to go to sleep, go somewhere else. Go to the car. Can you really be thankful? The key for us living a very successful and, and, and fluent Christian life is not only to glorify God, but to be thankful. 
But can you be thankful in your Christian life if you feel like you're responsible for the gift? And when it comes to the gift of salvation, we're going to find out. And here's the deal. I'm going to take my time with this. And I'm going to answer questions that you haven't asked. And when I begin to tell you what this subject is going to be about, immediately you're going to go, oh, I'll get him. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to tell you right. You are not. I'll deal with them all. I'll deal with all your Armenian doctrines you got. I'll deal with them. Promise you. On the big screen, because we're going to have a talk. You're at that age. You need to know. Being thankful. Can we truly be thankful for our salvation? If salvation is a gift, and is it, please? Is it, please? Keep in mind, some of you don't know me. I was raised in the Assembly of God Church. And in that doctrine and theology, a lot of Baptists and a lot of other things, they feel like that it's all up to me. It's almost like God is the grocer. He's got everything on the shelves, but it's up to me to go get it. I have to work for it. Now, here's the opposite side about grace. You're not doing enough. Here's the opposite side. This is what I don't do. Anybody witness to your neighbors? Now watch it. Anybody, anybody witness to your neighbors this week? Really about Jesus? I mean, really about Jesus? And if you haven't, their soul destiny is on you. Did you witness somebody at the grocery store? Did you tell them they're going to hell if, if they're doing some things? If you did not, their soul's in jeopardy because of you. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're never good enough and you're never enough. So I need you to go back after this week and work like the devil, if, that's, if I can say that. And my whole Christian life, I, I never was enough. It never was enough. I, ne I never did enough. I never could do enough. I witnessed the three, but they said I had to witness the five. Hey, where does the insanity stop? And this is where the insanity stop is the doctrine that I'll teach you that is straight out of the scriptures because they put all the blame and guilt on you. And the reason why we had mass shootings because it's the church's fault. The reason why there's homeless on the street because the church's fault. We have responsibilities to people, but I'm not responsible for people. And that was the exact opposite that was impounded me years ago. So what's happened is, if salvation is a gift of God, which it is through Christ Jesus, then we have become guilty like children at Christmas. You buy them a toy, they unwrap the toy, they take the toy out, and what do they do? They set it aside and they play with the box. That's what you're doing. That's what you've been doing. God gave you the gift, and you set the gift aside, and now then you're more interested in the box than you are the gift. The box is religion. The gift is Christ Jesus and the box is religion. And so you're now more interested in playing with the box than you are the gift. And we, and, and, and we see that happen all the time at Christmas. Get, they, they love the box. and They get in the box, they play in the box, they put the box on their head. So Romans 6 and 23 deals with eternal life. Romans 6 and 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everybody knows this, I guess. The gift of God, the gift of God, the gift of God is what? 
eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The only way to eternal life is through Jesus what? Through Jesus Christ. There's not many ways. Olstein, T.D. Jake says there's multiple ways. There's not. I don't care if they got huge churches and big followings. There's only one way. Jesus is the only way according to John chapter 14. In the Greek, it says, Jesus, he said, I am the way. The word the is the only way. I am the only way, I'm the only truth, and I'm the only life. So it doesn't matter what anybody else said. We have to understand what God is saying. And he says, eternal life, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If eternal life is a gift, but are we responsible to make sure that we get that gift? And concerning God's gift of salvation, here we go. What does the Bible teach concerning divine election or free will? Now, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert this morning. There's only one time in the scriptures that even talks about a free will in humans is an offering. It's not in the Bible. Is free will in the Bible? And the answer is yes, it's all through the Bible and it pertains to God. He can do what he wants to. So immediately you're going to say, well, what are you going to do with John 3, 16? I'm glad you asked. What are you going to do about whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? I am so glad you thought of that. We are going to deal with that in the next few weeks. I'll answer them all. So I know right now at this moment, there are red flags going up. I know some of you are looking for the back door. I know that a religious demon in you is rising up and you want to scream at me. I encourage you, don't do that. What would cause something on the inside of you to scream out and say that God's way are higher than any other's way and we must submit to him? What would cause anything inside you to scream against that? And it's not a godly spirit, it's a demonic spirit. And can a Christian have demons run around him? Absolutely yes. They can influence, but they can never possess, but they can influence us to do demonically things. It's crazy. So this morning, before you tune me out, I'm here to, I'm here to set a good foundation for some of you that has felt like that it's, you're never enough, you're never good enough, you're not doing enough. Congratulations, you learned it. We can never be good enough. There's only one that was good enough. And it was Christ Jesus. And because of that, he is the gift to eternal life. Now then, when we deal, if the scripture, if the Bible talks about it, when I was in church and I had a pastor, I asked him about election, predestination, foreknowledge. And this is, he looked me square in the eye and said, we're not going to talk about any of that. So a lot like you, you know, I, I thought, really, I did. I thought Ezra, when I first got in church, I thought Ezra was a woman. And it's not. It's not. Did you know that? It's not. Ezra's a man. But when I first got in church and I got saved, I thought Ezra was a woman. I didn't know anything. But I had a hunger for God. And so I started reading some things in the Old Testament. That kind of confused me because I couldn't pronounce those eight-syllable first names of those guys. I couldn't pronounce their names. 
And then, and then I kind of meandered like a lot of you do, like meandered, like, well, God, really don't laugh at this, but, but this is the way they taught you in the faith movement. Just take your finger and say, God, show me where you want me studying. Just put your finger somewhere. I mean, really, that's the way they teach you. Cuckoo, they, they need to live in a clock. They're looking for a clock to move into what they're doing. They're nuts. And so I started reading in Romans and I was roaming through Romans and I got to this and I said, my goodness, predestination, election, and divine election, and, and foreknowledge. And I, I mean, something like, I, I don't know anything about that. It's in the Bible, and, and he's talking about it. So I went to my synagogue pastor, and I said, hey, what do we know about this? He said, we're not going to talk about any of that. I thought, my goodness. And I, so I said, why not? If it's in the Bible, why can't we talk about it? And he said, we're just not going to talk about it. I said, okay, don't get happy. If you're visiting here and, and if you're looking for a, a good church, this is a pretty good church. The, the preacher's wife is really good, but the, but here's the deal. If it's in the scripture, why can't we talk about it? I thought it was the whole counsel of the word of God. I thought Jesus said, we're not going to leave out one jot or tittle. We're, we're going to get it all. We're not going to leave one I undotted, one T uncrossed. And I know it may go against your grain. I understand that. But I told you last week, I really like to rub you the wrong way sometimes because it is sandpaper, the roughness of sandpapers that provides a glass finish to our life, not cotton. And you go, ooh, 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 I didn't like that this morning, but I'm trying to smooth you out without splinters. So, Election and foreknowledge and predestination, all of these are terms and truths that are tucked away in a core of scriptures that we have seemed to overlook. Matter of fact, they said this to Jesus. These are hard sayings. They're difficult sayings. Predestination, foreknowledge, divine election, they are all truths that have seemed to be tucked away in a quarry of scriptures that we seem to overlook voluntarily and involuntarily. But my job and my responsibility to you is to uncover these things. Look what Revelation chapter two and verse two says this, that I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou cannot bear them which are evil. Amen. And thou hast tried them which they say they're apostles and they are not and thou hast found them liars. <laughs> of all the nerve. This is what God says. Hey, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. And I know you cannot stand people that try to seduce or corrupt the things of God. And what happens? You put them to the test. And what happens? You found them liars. See the word found? Eurystos is the Greek word where we get a word for Eureka. By definition, Webster says, it's the shout or expression of joy, of satisfaction when discovering something that has been hidden. I hope to goodness before this service is over, you don't have to do it. Instead of saying amen, you'll go, Eureka, I have found what has been hidden that God has always had for me lying in the scriptures. Truths. So last week, we begin to unfold John 15, verse 16. And this is what Jesus said to the disciples. Now, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands who believes in divine election, who believes in free willers. If you've been the most streamlined denomination church, you're a free willer. And next week, we'll really talk about free willing. 
I'll tell you what, I've been around a lot of church people and they are free-willed. They're free-willed with their emotions. They're free-willed with their tongue. They're free-willed with their attitude. They're free-willed with all that other stuff. They are not God-willed. And if you want to take anything that'll split a church right down the middle, and I understand that, I've been here for a long time, but I am, I am not afraid to talk to you about biblical things that is over this doctrine, divine election and free-willing. Because free-willing believes it's all up to me. And if you'll, if you'll come back next week, we'll, we'll talk about that. Last week, John 15, verse 16 says this. Talk to his disciples. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Eklomahe, we found that last week. Jesus tells them right up. You have not chosen me. I've chosen you. I used to sing this song all the time. I have decided to follow Jesus. I quit singing that until I really understand what's going on here. You didn't choose him. Somebody said, I found God. God was not lost. He turned to his disciples. And he said, oh, by the way, you've seen me do a, a plethora of things, but here's the truth. You want to know the truth? I chose you. And we found out last week that this Greek word for chose was the same word that was used when David faced Goliath and he chose five stones out of a rock quarry of, of rocks. There was a quarry, hundreds of thousands of, of rocks in this creek bed. But David chose five. He selected five. And we said Goliath had four brothers, but he chose five. He didn't say, hey, just pick up five and hand it to me. He did not. He specifically chose five for the plans and purposes of God. And the same word that is used, Baha, in the Old Testament is the same word in chosen, ek Alomahi is selected among many. Remember what he said in John 17? I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for you. Jesus said this, I pray not for the world, but I pray for them that you've given me. So Jesus turned to these, these gentlemen who found out last week and he said this, of all the sea of humanity, I want you to know that I have chosen you. I have specifically chosen you to fulfill the purposes of God. So who chooses who? And the answer is, he chooses us. And this goes against, and right now some of you will say, I'll never come back. Well, it's nice knowing you. But I'm not changing the word of God just to make you happy. He chose us. Now, in about three or four weeks, we're going to talk about some, some possibilities. There's some that he selects and some that he allows. I'll, I'll go with you on that. I'll give you cases and instances where men of the Bible were commissioned before they were even born, and God brings it out. So I'll, I'll relieve your conscience. I'm going to tell you right now, I never had a chance or a choice. Maybe you do. Not me. And I will tell you men and women in the scripture that God met a fourth time through the angel of God and said, this is what these people will become in my kingdom. So I'm speaking of me. He always knew me. He always had his hand on me. 
He always had a plan for my life. I told somebody today about predestination, whether you like it or not. I mean, it's a long word, kind of hard to get it out, but it was very simple. Destination, destination is a route. It's a course. It's a plan. When you go on vacation, we got a destination. Hopefully we don't get in the car and say, hey, just hand me the map and I'm going to close my eyes and where have I put my finger? That's where we're going. We don't do that. Well, some of you do. That's, that's why you're in divorce courts about half the time. We got a plan. Aaron, we got a plan. Here's the map. We're, we're going we're gonna to go to Nashville and we're going to go through Tulsa and we're going to go to Little Rock and we're going to go to Eastern Barbie. We got a plan. And the word predestination means this. God has already had a plan for my life before my life was ever began. And I can't answer for you because you may be the father of that other side. I'm going to tell you about me. That's why that his hand has never been off me. That's why I irritate you. And that's why I make some of you shouting glad and some of you fighting mad. But he's always had his hand upon it. He spoke to my grandmother when I was a toddler. I'm going to use him. I've called him. That's why I've always known him. When my family was apart, I knew him because his hand was upon me. Divine election. So when he tells these disciples about I've chosen you, is he just speaking about the speaking about following him? So here, here's a verse that's going to just, it, it, it'll just rattle you. Oh, it'll, 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 it'll make Terry Myers get mad when you yell out, go Green Bay. I mean, it'll just rile him up. Watch this, Luke, 20, Luke 10, verse 20. This is very simple. They come back, there's casting out demons. And Jesus said, do not rejoice that the spirits are submitted to you, but rejoice that your names are... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He hasn't even died yet. He hasn't even went to the cross yet. They haven't confessed nothing. They confessed nothing about salvation, that he's the Lamb of God. They haven't went through the rituals of repentance. They hadn't done anything. And he says, don't rejoice because demons are subject to you. Just rejoice to your names are already written in heaven. What does that mean? He, the reason why these men were responsive to Christ is because their names were already written. Oh, you don't understand that. You don't understand it. The reason why you said yes is because he's already recorded your name in heaven before you got there. Oh, you don't get it. You don't get it. You say Eureka if you got it. <laughs> he hadn't went to the cross. His blood hadn't been shed. Nothing. Why would he even dare say that your names are already written in heaven? Wow. John 6, 37 says that all that my father will give to me will come to me. And when they come to me, I will in no wise cast them out. Jesus never got on the stump and said, can I see a hand? Who wants to follow me? He never did that. 
He's a whole, this is his whole ministry is those that my father has called to come to me. They will come to me. I don't have to be, plead. I don't have to beg. I don't have to have gimmicks. I just open up my mouth and declare what my father says. And those that have the ear to hear of my father, they will gravitate to me. He said, don't rejoice because demons are subject to you. Rejoice because your names are already written <laughs> in heaven. And the reason why as a teen and a young adult, you never strayed so far like the other people is because you could not, because your citizenship, Philippians chapter three, verse 20, your citizenship has already been recorded in heaven before even physically or verbally you made a confession of faith. Which comes first, the heart believeth or the mouth speaketh? Don't answer that. Remember Romans 10, 9 and 10? If thou believe in your heart, if you'll confess with your mouth, which comes first? The heart. Way before your mouth says anything, the heart has already been changed by God. Why don't I have altar calls? Because I, I, I don't need you to lie about it. If you're changed, you'll live it Monday through Saturday, back where you are. God's not allergic to go to you. You don't have to come down there. He'll come to you. Wow. So divine election says that these men didn't have to go through a protocol of things to get it right before he accepted them. He said, the reason why the demons are subject to you is because your names are already... I, 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 here's a newsflash. Here's the deal. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I'm flesh and bone. But make no make, mistake about it. My name has been pre-recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven before the foundation of the earth, before I ever began, God set it in motion. We have scripture to back all this up. And what happens is that even through my stumblings and, and, and all of our mishaps, that we line up to what has already been established in heaven. Remember what Jesus said? Let your will be established on earth what's already been established in heaven. And if you have already been called by God and predestined by God and assigned by God before you ever hit planet earth, and I want you to know we're going to deal with Romans chapter eight and we're going to take our shoes off and we're going to use monosyllables for some of you. We're going to say dad, dad and mama, but I will convince you that if you are a child of God, that God didn't say, wow, we got another and God had it all in a divine plan. So let's look at the footing. Some of you don't read your Bible, so we're, here we go. Romans chapter nine, we're gonna read 10 verses out of the King James. I got a King James Bible because it's large print. It's that gigantic old geezer's print. It says, uh, Danny DeVore. So I thank you for letting me use that Bible. Can we go by wrong? You can get mad at me for saying things, but you can't get mad at the scriptures, can you? Thank you. Well, you can. Well, it has been. Romans 9, the Apostle Paul is dealing with some things. Romans 9, verse 6 through 16. He says, not as though that the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are in Israel. 
neither because they are not the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Just because that you are a legal citizen of Israel doesn't mean you're a child of God. Just because that you come to this church and you sign a card and you give money doesn't mean you're a child of God. You may be a member of this church, but you're not a child of God. Possibility. Are y'all reading this or are you looking at me? You'll go to hell if you don't read this. <laughs> but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise at the time that I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, he says, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by her father Isaac, for the children, which is Jacob and Esau, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purposes of God, according to the election, might stand, not of works, but of him, which is God who calls. It was said to her that night that the elder shall serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. So what are you going to say then? Is God unrighteous? Is there unrighteousness with God? And he answered said, God forbid. Because God said to Moses that I'll have mercy on whom that I'll have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. And so then is it not of him that willeth? It's not of him that runneth, but it is up to God who shows mercy. Wow. Now let me get this right. It's not up to me that runneth and it's not up to you that willeth, but it's all up to God. And as he said, that I'll show mercy who I'll show mercy to. I'll show compassion to who I'll show compassion to. And we're not going to. But four verses later, he said, as I did to Pharaoh, I hardened his heart and I will show mercy who I want to. And I will harden who I want to. And I'm the Lord God. And that's the way it is. That's the fact, Jack. So in reformers thinking and thought process, so I, I won't let you know, this is not a Calvinistic doctrine. Somebody say, oh, you're a Calvinist. Don't, don't call me names. John Calvin was about 65 years before James Armenian come along. James Armenian was the one that decided the free willers because James Armenian got sick and tired of a king telling him what to do. The Bible is about kingdom, kings. And James Armenian said, you know what? I'm sick of kings. Let's just have a free will. We're a democracy now. The Bible is not about democracy. We have a righteous king. We have a good king. We have a good God. Let me back that up. I have a righteous king. I've got a good God. I've got a good king. There's no shadows in him. So what happens is we use a term this way, God's elect, but all you have to do is just move the S and now this called God selects. 
And the first thing you're going to say, well, that's not fair. I'm glad you said that because the Bible said that they would say that. So you're telling me, Reverend. No, I'm not telling you. I'm just reading the Bible. That God has the capacity, and if God wants to have mercy, he'll have mercy. If God wants to have compassion on people, he'll have compassion. Verses later, if God wants to raise up Pharaoh, he said, the only reason I raised him up so I could step on him. What's fair about that? Here we go. Here we go. All you earth-loving people, here we go. That means everyone went fishing with, with worms. Oh yeah, that worm was excited when you took him and impaled him. The reason why he's wiggling is not because he's happy. You take a minute, run it through his eyes, run it through his skin, and what do you do? You just throw him in the room. And, and the most terrifying for that little minute is to see a large mouth, large mouth bass coming his way. You don't think anything about stringing a worm up, even though he's wiggling with all his might and stuff's coming out of holes that everywhere. Don't look at me that way. Why do you take something and you impale it and you kill it? Because you're after a prize. God said, the only reason why I raised up Pharaoh Read the scripture. Don't read it now. The only reason why I raised them up so I could smash him to prove to my people that I am with them and for them. And so you say, well, that's not fair to Pharaoh. I didn't say God was fair. Nowhere in the Bible that says God is fair. He's just. And we all deserve hell. There's no fairness about it. God's not fair. We'll deal with that. So he says this. So when we learn this doctrine, and, and we'll even get to the how I know I'm called. I'm glad you didn't ask that, but I'll answer it for you. When you deal with, with divine election, that you have to understand that as it was with the 70 or the seven disciples, 12, 11, 12, 11, that their names was already recorded in the counsel of God's heart and God moved upon these men's heart to follow Christ. So too, if you are following and hungering and thirsting after God, it doesn't mean that you won't have mistakes and mishaps. It just means everything screams in you saying this, I've got to get back on the heels of Jesus and follow him. And that's who I am. Do I always get it right? No, sir. But everything in me screams for righteousness to follow Christ. Amen. So, this thinking is, in Reformation thinking is called God's elect. But when you just move the S, the English language means God selects. He chooses, John 15, verse 16. He chooses. And I know what's going on in your mind right now because I wrestled with it for years. Well, what about my kids? What about my wife? What about my husband? I understand. But I say to you this, you'll always see indicators and signs and we have promises concerning our children and our grandchildren. There's covenants. We found out that Lot had through Abraham, even though Lot was in the midst of a Solomon Gomorrah, but the Bible called him what? Just and righteous. You can be just and righteous 
in a wicked city, town, environment, and in a wicked marriage, in a wicked home, in a wicked place of work. You can still be righteous and just, but God knows how to deliver his righteous out of that mess. Absolutely. God didn't say, Lord, if you'll get out, I'll make you righteous. He called him righteous right in the middle of that mess. So do we even have a free will or are we just robots? I'm glad you asked that. If God selects and God chooses, and we have no problem with the Old Testament, how many believes that, that Israel is God's chosen people? Because of Scripture. Well, that's not fair. Let me ask that question over. Some of you are nappy. How many knows and believes the Scriptures in Deuteronomy? God said, you are my chosen people. It's not a trick question. Well, is that fair? I ask you, is that fair? Say yes and no. I understand. It's crazy. But just because that we may not understand it, if you're on the other side of the aisle, that we may not like it, but it doesn't take away what the Word of God said. It is God's people. Now, God's dealing with them, and, 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 and Israel has always been a, a hoot and still a hoot. But God said, they're my people. But remember what he said in the scriptures? Not all of Israel is Israel. Not all, not all of Abraham's children are the seed. But the election of God may stand that before the boys, even born, having done good or evil, that the election of God may stand that God elected and selected that Jacob would rule over Esau. It would shock you to know that you're not that smart and you're not that talented. The reason why you're overcoming in this spiritual walk is because before you were even born, God set in motion that you would rule over your adversaries. And can we really appreciate a gift from God if we feel like we're responsible for that gift? No. So, do we even have a free will or are we just robots? So let me, let me kind of disarm this thing. We've been given by God freedom to choose and select everyday stuff such as steak or salads. I'll take the first one. But our eternal life and destiny is only in the hands of God. Free will that God gives to human beings is the opportunity to make choices that may affect our physical outcome. But it doesn't mean that we can do anything that we please. So, let me explain this. I'm telling you that divine election has everything to do with your spirit man but God still allows free will to operate in your life on everyday physical things. And this is why it says in Deuteronomy, I set before you life and death, choose life. I set before you blessings and cursing, choose blessing. I mean, it's an open book test, but it has nothing to do with your predetermined salvation. Whether we go to Samson, whether we go to John the Baptist, whether we go to Jeremiah, whether we go to King David, all these men were instructed before they were born what the outcome of their life was going to do. And when I talk about 
divine election, keep in mind, we have a free will that deals with our mental and physical capacity. So let me explain this. That we come to a bridge and we say that we're going to cross the bridge and we're going to go to the other side. So our free will, we have a free will to walk to the other side. Agree? Even, even if it says, do not cross, most of you will do that because the sign says, don't cross. A person can choose to walk across the bridge in order to get to the other side. But a person can never fly over the bridge. Why? Because human nature prevents them from flying as birds. Is that fair? Please don't tune me out. As human beings, we, in our nature, we can walk across the bridge. But because of our human nature, we're, we are limited and prevented. We cannot fly across the bridge like that thing that's going over my head right now. And we can say, well, God, that's just not fair. What keeps us from flying over the bridge? And the answer is we are limited because of this human nature. Are you with me? We can't do it. Similarly speaking, mankind cannot choose to make himself nor decide to be righteous because of his sin nature. His free will to hunger for God and seek God is limited only because of the sin nature. So leave that up there. His free will, your free will, before you made a confession of faith, your free will to say that I'm going to seek God and I'm going to hunger after God is nonsense. That's about as logical as you saying, I flew, I flapped my arms and I flew over the bridge. That ain't happening. Why? Because your nature. Here's three, here's three verses. We're going to go. I know it's late. You don't care. Romans 5 and 12, watch this. So therefore, as one man sent into the world and death by sin and death was passed upon all men, now then all men is under a sin curse because what Adam did in the garden, we all inherited the sinful nature, every one of us. You're born with it. You're born with it. Nobody has to teach you. We don't have to hold classes how to teach you how to cuss, how to steal and throw fists. Nowhere in this daycare that we have a class for three-year-olds to teach them. Now, lay, now kids, this is how we're going to throw a fit when mom and daddy don't give you what you want to. It comes automatically in their nature. So rule number one, man is a sinner. Rule number two, Man needs a savior. Number three, Jesus is the only savior for mankind. That's the gospel. Man is a sinner. Now, if you don't know this, Bethel and some other big churches, they're not teaching that man is dead and trespassed sin. They're teaching that man are asleep. Look it up. It's crazy. We're asleep. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're dead and trespassed sin. And we'll talk about that. But besides that, number two, Romans chapter three, 10 through 15, as it is written, 
There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understand it and there is none that seeks after God. None. Why? Because of the sin nature. You couldn't seek him if you wanted to. There's no desire for you to seek him. They are all gone out of their way. They become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, which tongues have used at the seed, and their poison of ashes under the lid. He's talking about religious people whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. Then he goes on to say a little bit later, he said, your righteousness is like filthy rags. It's a woman's menstrual cycle rag. It's the result of something that's dead that has been rejected out of a woman's body. That's what filthy rags means. It's the way it is. It's a product of something dead. It's a product of there's no life in it. None seeks after God. He's dealing with the human nature. None seeks after God. Nobody seeks God's righteousness. Nobody longs for God. You didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'll give my life to God. That never happened. You wasn't aware of it, but he opened up the ears of your heart for the first time and God called you by name. And the last one is found in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And we're fixing to quit on this segment. And you that he has quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. You are dead in trespasses and sin. The Greek word for dead is nekros. Nekros means a corpse. Doesn't mean unproductive. It means you're dead. Now, I've been a pastor for about 30 some odd years. And unfortunately that I have presided over quite a few funerals, but I've never had anybody in the casket or the urn step out and have a conversation with me while I was trying to do the service. Why? Dead people don't say anything. Dead people cannot respond. Dead people cannot call out. Dead people, dead things cannot move forward. And he says, dealing with your spirit man, you were dead in trespasses and sin. You did not call out to God because you could not call out to God because you were a living corpse. Paul deals with a woman, 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says she's dead while she lives. I could not call to God. I could not reach out to God. Why? I was dead in my trespass and sin. You remember the story in John chapter 10 about Lazarus? Of course you do. Lazarus was selected by God to come to the living. Do you like that story? I like it. Let me ask that question. We're quitting. When the music plays, you know we're quitting. Of course, that's an hour loop, so that don't mean anything. 
Somebody said, what's your favorite part of the Bible? I said, I like it all, especially where it says, wives loves your husband. I love that one. I love, I got that mark somewhere. I like it about Lazarus. I like it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of in it. There's a lot to it. And he had two knucklehead sisters, one knucklehead sister. Mary was always at his feet and Martha was always in his ear. Three times. One is, she was at his face, she was in his ear, and she was at his throat. Mary's always at his feet. So this story about Lazarus, that, that he would go to Bethany, just a few miles outside of Jerusalem, and he would go there just because he, he loved them. I mean, you know, he, he went there and Lazarus died, and you know the story. But Lazarus was selected by God to come to the living while yet being surrounded by a host of other people's loved ones. Was that fair? The cemetery that Lazarus was in was filled with thousands of bodies. Now some of you say, well, someone was decomposed. Revelation said that doesn't matter because the dead will give them up, the sea will give them up, the ashes will give them up, and he'll reconstruct them. So you understand if he is God, that just, just because they changed the forms of their metabolic structure means nothing to him. If he wanted a pile of ashes to come back to life, correct me if I'm wrong, he made the first man out of a handful of dirt. <laughs> so he hadn't lost the recipe to that. So when he calls Lazarus from the, from, the, from the cemetery and he calls him by name, why did he call him by name? Because if he says, everybody in the cemetery, Ali, Ali, and free, come out. They'd have had a mass exodus of people. I know I'm irritating you, but I, I like it. Because I want you to think, was God unfair by calling only him. Don't answer it. There's no good answer. And if you was there and we just had your, your husband's funeral yesterday, you could have looked and said, hey, lot B, tomb 11. We just buried him yesterday. How about it? I got, I got kids. We have no income. Raise him. And people could have lined up and shook their finger at him and said, it's not fair. He's a nobody. He's an out-of-towner. He's from Wilson. And we have no record when Lazarus come forth, we have no record that he did anything monumentous, monumental. He didn't change the world. He didn't go back and change his city. We have no record that he did anything that was monumental in the things of God. So why in the world would Jesus call him specifically by name among thousands of other people? And we only have one clue in the scripture and here it is. Jesus wept when he saw him and the Jews said, behold, He loved me. I got a word for you, Eureka. We only have one clue. It never says that he went and changed 
Bethany. It never said he run for office. It never said he did anything. We have no record that Lazarus did anything on a big scale to change the world. It would make a lot of sense if he did, but he didn't. Why would Jesus being submitted to God and by God, and he said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Why would he stand in front of a cemetery full of thousands of corpses and call one man out, chose one man out of a thousand? Because the scripture, the Jews said it, we know that he loved him. This morning, in the next couple of weeks, if you'll come back, we'll talk about the design of God and the structure of God, the plan of God, what free will represents, how it means, how it works. We just gave you a very simple, this is a very simple elementary, this is a pre-K lesson on divine election and free will. Very simple. But I've given you good evidence for you to at least think. And here's the deal. Is God unfair? So you're going to say, well, then how do we know? We don't know. That's why I scream the gospel at you every week. That's why we live a life outside this church. That everywhere we go, that's why we are straight and crooked places. That's, this is why we do what we do do is because we don't know. Only God knows. And if I say, God, if you already know, then, then it's good with me. I'm not doing nothing. Then I become a disobedient service that's worthy and will receive punishment by God. I don't know your heart this morning. I know you're here, but I can't read your mind and I'm so glad. But you know what I'm doing? I'm begging, I'm begging God, if your ears of your heart have never been opened, that this morning that you realize that the big picture of God is greater than when you just say, I decide to follow God. He's always had a plan for your life. And for your children and your grandchildren and your neighbors, I don't know. So that's why we've got to be good witnesses to them. Wow. So in my life, I'm thankful. I'm really thankful. I glorify God because I'm thankful. Because years ago, I understood that He chose me and He called my name out of a cemetery of other people. He called your name. If you're born again of God, He selected you and called you Maybe you're the only one in your family that's serving God. Understand. But have you ever wondered why me? Why me? In a bar room at night when the fight broke out and bullets was flying everywhere, but not a one found me. People laying on the floor covered in blood, but not a one found me. Why not me? Why not me? Experiment with drugs and overdose that should have killed me, but it didn't. Why not me? Why not me when my whole world 
claps around about me and everybody says, I don't know how you even survived this. Why not? I want to tell you why. Because God has already had a plan for your life before you even come along. And God might have said, I'll let certain things happen to you, as he said to Job, but the final product of this thing, he belongs to me. She is mine. I chose her from the foundation of the earth. I chose her. I wrote their names in heaven way before they followed you on two legs. And the reason why you're following him today is because he has already written your heart in heaven. Wow. That's good news. Um, what do we say? Eureka! Yeah, that's what we're saying. Stand with me, please, and bow your heads. Driving home late one night, it, being intoxicated, driving home on a four-lane road, you barely make it home till you realize the next day it was only two-lane. Why not you? My buddies in college, they come to pick me up. We graduated college at Murray State. My two buddies come to pick me up. But for some reason, my grandmother, the same one that spoke over me, she kissed me at my graduation. She said, I'm praying for you. And I went back to my dorm, packing my stuff, getting ready for the big graduation party. I went to sleep until the banging of the door, the two boys that come to pick me up did not pick me up and they were both killed in a car wreck. Why not me? This morning, some of you need to be reminded for the first time or maybe in a long time that it wasn't your idea and it wasn't your decision. God called you. God opened up the ears, even though your family was completely being ripped in two and apart, but somehow you've always known him. He chose you. And that day sitting in a group or in a church service, just like old brother Lazarus, dead in your trespasses in sin. But that morning or that evening or that night or driving down the road, the Holy Spirit called you by name, dead in your trespasses, but you come out of your grave clothes because he called you specifically by name. Is God unfair? Not to me. I'm just thankful. And for all those, Jesus said, that will respond to my name, that's the commission that I give to you disciples. For all those that are gonna believe upon my name, it is your responsibility to sh shed the light, spread the good news. That's my responsibility. But we cover this base first this morning Father, even though that we may not understand how it works and why it works and how it relates to us today, but we've learned a valuable lesson that you chose us. You elected us. You called us from a quarry of souls upon this earth to be used by you, to be loved by you, because it says in John, because you loved us. Thank you. 
Thank you for calling my friends this morning. Thank you for changing their hearts. And I can truly say that as you said about the disciples in John 17, you haven't kept them from evil, but you have kept them from the evil one. You haven't exempt us from problems, but you never let that get into us that we never knew you were in the presence of our problems. So everywhere we go, Father, let us open our mouth and declare that the Lord is good and he's kind and he's merciful. And he that has the ear to hear, let them respond to the call of God in Jesus' name. And all the people of God say, man, Eureka, if we buy it. Yes. Aren't you thankful this morning that he called you? Aren't you glad this morning that he called you by name? Isaiah 43, fear not. For I redeemed you and I have called you by name. And when you walk through the fires, he didn't say if you walk, he said when you walk through the fires, I'll be with you. And when you, crash, when you cross through the troublesome waters, when you cross through hard times, and waters represents a wicked people, I'll be with you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer forevermore. So this week, here's the deal. Listen, you're going to walk through some fires and you're going to be surrounded by waters of wicked people, but your Father is with you. He's called you. He's redeemed you. And he has a plan for your life. And it's at work right now in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. Give on a praise offering if you would, please, huh? Now you can turn to somebody and say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what he said, but he's convinced what he said is right. So that's all right. He loves me. He loves you. Communion service, if you'll please come. Mm. I'm thankful. I am so thankful. I'm thankful that he has called me from the foundation of the earth. I'm thankful that he has put his word and his spirit in my life. I'm thankful that he has given me a, a plan and a purpose. I'm thankful. I never was good enough, but he's worthy. Just to think, the King of Glory has selected you. Wow. Grace doesn't teach us to be great. Grace teaches us to be grateful. And I'm grateful. That night he sat with his disciples and he took the bread and the cup and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the Passover with the unleavened bread. John 6 says that my father's poured bread from heaven and your fathers did eat of it, but they always hungered. But if any man shall eat of me, I am the bread of life. He'll never hunger again. He's not making an invitation here, ladies and gentlemen. He's making a statement. He took the cup, which was the third cup, and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the, the blood of the lamb that was... And this blood was taken and placed in the shape of a cross on the doorpost that the death angel of the Abaddon would see the cross shaped up on the doorpost and he would pass over and he said, now that I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, 
and my Father will soon take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross. And if any man will hide behind that cross, the death angel will pass over him as well. And as often as you drink this cup and eat of this bread, remember me. Father, I'm going to remember your son Jesus today. It's not works of righteousness that I have done because I've just fouled the whole thing up, but because Christ is the true sacrifice for our sins. He is the gift of eternal life for every one of us this morning. And we accept it and we receive it and we'll take good care of it. In Jesus' name, amen.